0: Past experiences shouldn't hold you back from achieving your goals. This is episode 225 on closing the gap with Noah Houston. You're tuned into Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host Corey Camp, and today I sit down with Noah, a startup lawyer, entrepreneur, and writer who's passionate about all things fitness and philosophy. We explore the concepts in his latest book, *This Way to the Stars*, an introduction into philosophy. We also talk about how a former college football player took up interest in philosophy in the first place. Noah and I spent a majority of this time exploring the gap that exists between who we are in this moment with who we see ourselves in the future as, and how you can start going about closing that gap in your own life. Before we dive in, take a minute to subscribe wherever it is that you're currently listening in. It helps the show grow more than you know, and I appreciate you taking the time to do so. Now... Let's get into it. Noah, welcome to Forever Athlete Radio, dude. This is a, a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got a chance I, to sit
1: down. I am also. It's, it's good to, it feels good to be in the seat.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. How, how are you feeling today? Like, it's about to be summertime here in Austin. You're still running, getting those early morning runs.
1: Yeah. Um, man, The it's still something I'm very much not used to growing up in the Midwest. Of I'm a sweaty human being. And that makes two of us. I'm already sweating. I don't here. have you done a sweat test? Have we talked about this? No. I haven't either, but I, I had to order one because last summer was my first true summer in Austin. And um it didn't it seemed to not matter what I did in terms of how much sodium I was intaking. I would still cramp at the long at the end of longer runs. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've i finally am gonna take control of it this summer and figure out exactly what I'm losing in my sweat. It's one of those things you would ask me two years ago. I would have this is not something that would have been on my radar at all. The idea that like oh there everybody has to a certain extent a unique composition of things they're losing in their sweat, mm-hmm. which means there's some things you might need to be more intentional about replacing when you're working out. And so, as that's one of the things that Texas heat will teach you is uh, you learn real quick if you're deficient in something, um, which would every every run over four miles last summer uh, was sort of in that risk territory, regardless of how much sodium I was drinking, like pre like prior to the run and during mm-hmm. it. So that has been. I'm hoping. Uh, this summer yields um, more endurance. But I say that I'm going to be gone a lot of it anyway. Um, But the heat is still something I'm not used to, man. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to get used to it, but we're figuring out.
0: Yeah, I was about to say I was like – kind of low-key very thankful when i got hurt last summer and got off of that marathon training yeah. that i was doing i was like oh well now i don't have Shoot. to." <laughs> yeah 5 a.m like 14 15 mile yeah. run doesn't have to happen anymore
1: okay. I, I also i would be curious to know your experience about this because our track days we we do in the mornings i mm-hmm. uh, similar to like my heavy lifting i found what if i do my i could I feel much more equipped to do heavy lifting sessions usually around noon or mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And but after uh college, I was just always a you know like work starts whatever and then I was always a morning yeah. workout person. Now runs, I'm noticing the same thing. Of if at 7 a at 6 or 7 a.m. run, mm-hmm. it feels I don't feel there. I feel like my I don't know if it's like my body's not quite up yet? Yeah. Or what's going on? But it feels harder than if I were to wait and do the same workout, even if it's hotter in the middle of the yeah. day, well, like three p.m.
0: Yeah, man. I'll I'll say like coming from a more like pacing based sport in yeah, swimming yeah. compared to to football, uh, I definitely noticed that like hitting pace at a five thirty a.m. workout was significantly harder than a three or four or five p.m. workout for me, and I would say a lot of my teammates would agree too where it was like if a coach asked you to go under a minute for 100 freestyle in warm up in the morning you would look like he had seven heads he was crazy but in the afternoon you'd be like okay yeah like I can go do that it just came a little bit easier so I, I agree but you know the I just approach it now with like this grain of salt when I look at my pacing or look at times and how I'm feeling in the morning I'm like you know what's worth it i'm gonna go 10 to 15 seconds faster per mile over the course of this run and not risk like heat exhaustion or risk heat exhaustion and be a little bit faster i'm like i i think i'm gonna build a healthier base actually doing the quote-unquote slower pacing yeah because come race day like it will that that base is always it will be there as long as you're doing the training you're you're more likely to I think overcome that heat fatigue in the morning than you are in the afternoon. I don't know. I, have you found that too?
1: Yeah, and that's that's where it's just been another thing I've been exposed uh, that has exposed me. I guess is how how much the my <laughs> self worth is mm. tied to hitting the paces, and so. Uh, how frustrated and down I get on myself if I don't hit the paces I want to hit
0: Why do you think that is or like where do you think that comes from for you?
1: I don't know. I, I mean, it's a really good question that uh, My earliest memory on a track is I was Middle school, mm. my brother was, so he would have been like a junior or senior in high school. He was a stud athlete, um, worked super hard. And I remember we went and did a family track workout at our middle school track. And uh, I was slacking to say the least. I was like, he was not, I was not doing well. I was in like seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade. Um, and so I, I kept like wanting to quit this track Mm. workout. And my brother's just crushing it. And I remember my mom looking like basically like looking at me and pointing at my brother and being like, that's why you'll never be as good as him. It's like, It uh, you know, it's, it's, that's not exactly what she said. I don't want to paint her in a harsh light. I love my mom. She's (laughs) fantastic. But that's what I heard as like a seven or eighth grader. Um, is that And to be fair, he was a much harder worker than me at that time. Um, But that's one of those things that just, like, sticks with you. Uh, I don't know if that's the source of my feeling like I have to hit those paces now. Mm -hmm. Just feeling like I'm not pushing myself enough. Like, I'm not – I could go harder. So maybe it does sort of bleed through in today and look something like that where now I'm on on these track sessions and I just – Constantly keep getting taken back to that moment of like, see, this is why you're never going to run a five minute mile.
0: Yeah, which is tough because you look at like if a five minute mile is your goal or half marathon, 5K marathon. It really doesn't matter. The trap, I think, lies in reverse engineering the pacing. Mm-hmm. And we get so caught up in like if you follow this program to a T, then you all but guarantee Yeah. X. Um and, you know, dude, I <laughs> I dealt with that with years yeah. in swimming where it was same deal. You sat down at the start of every season, you picked your events that you were going to focus on, and you objectively just put times, um, which is so interesting to go about. Like, that's how I always viewed goal setting. It was more time-based than it was to win a championship or to win at this one meet or at this level. It would atten- essentially be, I want to qualify for X meet and I wanna go a lifetime best time in my, my events. And you would just reverse engineer back from there and be like, okay, cool. If I wanna go 1630 in the mile and a 1650, that's gonna be one minute pace per 16 and a half 100s. And so then you would just click off like every time you would do pace work, you would be like, okay, base is now a minute. Base minus one, 59 seconds, like base minus two. And you would find your like zones from there It's the same thing in running now, where it's like, okay, I want to go a three-hour marathon, 6.50 pace, 6.49 pace. Then we're looking at, okay, I'm going to do some tempo training, like 20 seconds faster per mile. From that, what does that look like? It's only like five to 10 seconds faster per 400 or 200. That's a huge difference in effort. Um, But kind of the whole reason I'm even explaining this in the first place is looking at that metric as great feedback, but not the end all be all of our training session of where we're actually at uh, in the bigger picture of things. It's really tough to know like when to zone in on that data and be like, Oh my God, I'm a piece of shit. Like I need to work harder because the data is telling me I'm being lazy versus, Oh no, I've actually given it my all in this session. I'm just a little bit off today. (laughs) Like, I'm just missing it. What's that dialogue like for you, that internal dialogue now as you've shifted from football into like the sport of life and you have uh, these obviously other outlets for you. It's probably not just showing up physically.
1: Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I, I feel like in my particular, up until I moved to Austin probably two years ago, I had settled into what I'll call like sort of safe fitness. Mm. I w- would not enter competitions. I wasn't really like testing my limits or my edges. I was never getting to that point of like exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I- I've experienced more nervous system fatigue now in like the last two years of training truly hard of trying to, trying to, it, I, Deadlift going up like 130 pounds in the last year. It's like that's the aggregate effect of a lot of sessions where it's like you just feel like you are tearing Mm -hmm. your essence apart. And it's like you leave and it's like did nothing but a blank stare the rest of the day because your nervous system is like (laughs) torched. But see, that's like a relatively new phenomenon for me in the last two years because for the seven years before that through law school and then my first four years of the practice of law. It was just something I did to check the box. It was like this is where I would go before work in the mm-hmm. morning, do my 50-hour hit class workout, feel very comfortable, like the whole obviously not comfortable, still uncomfortable. Yeah. But there wasn't any
0: intentionality. Wasn't intentionality.
1: It wasn't like I was trying to get stronger in any particular thing. It was just, oh, I'm going to go and move my body. And so operating in that space you never run up against that dialogue because mm-hmm. you don't, it's a very comfortable place to live because you remove yourself from that critic. And it wasn't until I moved down to Austin. It, so it's a different type of dialogue. I said, mm-hmm. I would say if it's like, it's the dialogue in that situation is the one that's sort of in the back of your head is like, you're a coward. Cause you're not like, going to compete in something. You're not actually mm-hmm. testing yourself. You're not even putting yourself in the arena, but that only shows up like in flashes. Otherwise it's drowned out. And it back in those days too, it's like that's, that's the voice that gets drowned out by piles of paper and substance abuse and alcohol and uh, women, whatever. Um, and so th- you sort of like try as much as possible to uh, bury that voice. Mm hmm. And then fast forward to moving down to Austin and you're just surrounded by great people um, and surrounded by people that like truly push you and do these competitions with you. And you can't even you can't to a certain extent. I joke about this, but it's like at Squatch, you come you come to Squatch, you're going to get fit on accident. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's just you're just surrounded by these people that are pushing yourself, pushing themselves. And so it just kind of lit a fire in me. Um, CJ, actually, I remember when he, my re-entry into the territory was, he asked me if I wanted to do a high rocks like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess. And that was my sort of thrusting back into the world of competition.
0: Was that the, the one here in Austin? That no, one?
1: that one was in uh, Dallas. Okay. Um, and, yeah, from there, man, it, it, I just realized how much I was leaving on the table and how much I still had left in the tank sort of post football and how much I still, like how much I missed that, like Mm -hmm. going to that place where it's like, especially for males, for guys, it's like where you need, you need that beast a little bit to like come to the surface and hit a heavy deadlift or do like an intense sprint, like something where it's just, I was living below 80%, like the 80% Mm -hmm. threshold uh, very comfortably. And then all of a sudden when I started, wanted to touch sort of 90, 95, 99, 100 again, it was almost like I had lost that skill. And so I had Mm -hmm. to retrain myself to be able to go there. So I'd put in this governor on myself a little bit. And so now the dialogue's very different, which was a long winded way of saying it's the conversation in my head has shifted over the last two years even over the last year um, because when I set the the goal to do the deadlift and the sub five minute mile, 500 pound deadlift, sub five minute mile on the same day. Um, when I first started, my deadlift was at 4.05. And I remember it was one of those things where similar to these track workouts, I would show up, have a prescribed percent i was supposed to hit for a certain amount of reps Mm -hmm. and would get so frustrated if i didn't hit those and then all of a sudden my entire week is ruined if i didn't hit my deadlift weight on a tuesday Mm -hmm. Um, you're still
0: thinking about a cup friday yeah
1: yeah exactly exactly and like that literally determined how i felt about myself the rest of the week whether i hit all of my prescribed weights on that particular day now i feel like this is always how it works but Um, as soon as I started approaching it of just trusting that if I just continue to show up, my body will adapt. Mm -hmm. And so it was more so I I started thinking about it more in terms of RPE rate of perceived effort Mm -hmm. in deadlift situations. So I was like, I know literally my only job is to show up and do what I can do. I have these weights that I want to be able to hit, but if my based on when I show up that day, if my system, if I take it to the same exact place, as long as I'm putting it out there and doing what my body can do, it's mm-hmm. going to adapt. The same sort of adaptation response is going to happen. And so I just need to – literally my only job is to show up and put everything I have into it and and ride that edge of, like, fatigue and injury. Don't cross over it. But if I, if I get there and I can, like, hit a couple reps at that point, then I can be satisfied that some sort of adaptation is happening in my body. And so I've started to try to look at it that way. Um, It's been harder for me to do that with the runs because I Mm -hmm. feel it's, it's harder for me to judge. It's easier on a deadlift. I have become very good at recognizing when my body has hit that point of like, Mm -hmm. if we go more, we run the risk of energy, of of, uh, injury versus in running. I, I haven't identified quite as much. Just because it's, it, I mean, to your to your point on pacing thing, like four seconds, four seconds every four hundred, like the difference between like a one fifteen and a one fourteen, or like a one fifteen and a one ten is huge. Mm-hmm. That's only that's only like one second every one hundred, but I could run like a one ten if you're absolutely torched run a 115 and feel like, oh, I got a little bit left. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's so strange because it's such a fine line and it's a much harder to like track that perceived consistent effort versus a deadlift if I'm doing three reps and it's like, okay, I know. Yeah, it's just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, You're exactly. <laughs> it's much more instant feedback versus on the run. It's like, all right, well, I I guess I need to pick up the pace a little bit on the next one. And so it's just harder. It's harder for me to to use that same sort of rate of perceived effort mm. on running than it is when I'm doing my lifting sessions. I feel like I have a better gauge of rate of
0: perceived effort yeah. when I'm lifting. Well, it sounds like lifting has been a longer journey for you rather than like running. And at least at this way of running definitely um, is a, a little bit newer of a skill, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I always hated distance. I was a sprinter Obviously, football is a lot of stop, start, go as fast as you can, rest Mm. for 30 seconds. Um, So this whole anything over a mile was the bane of my existence. Even a mile. I remember my high school track coach tried to make me run 800s because he thought that would be my race. 800s. You got the body for it. I was 180 pounds in that. He's like, you got the strides. I really think the 800 would be what you would excel at. Put me in one workout with the other 800 runners. That idea of me being an 800 runner was gone forever, out the day. window. <laughs> yeah, forever. That day. Yeah, but I loved the 400 was my event. That was the one I loved the most. Uh, it was the one I was best at. I ran ones, twos, and fours. Um, yeah, and it's it's just I'm 220 pounds now too, and so that just doesn't make it easy trying to move that. I found it takes a decent toll on my joints. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to find ways to do it on – it's funny when you put yourself into something, fully into something, you, you sort of like start to learn these slight nuances that you just were totally oblivious to before. So for example, the concrete on a sidewalk is harder than the asphalt on a road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, so you start to think about – all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking – I'm thinking a bunch about the hardness of surfaces that I you see and walk on every day that I'd never thought about before but yeah. it's all because I'm trying to like manage the strain on my joints when I'm running.
0: Yeah, and I that makes a massive difference over the course of 100%. Like however many strides per minute you're hitting and that over the course of like a 30-minute run versus an hour versus an hour and a half, 2-hour longer session.
1: I mean, that's the crazy thing when you think about running of it's, if there's any sort of imbalance, if mm. there's any sort of misalignment and you're taking 180 steps a minute, it's like, all <laughs> it's you got to do compound is... compound with time. Exactly. And you run, uh wh- I don't know what the wet math is, but you run a half hour, that's 5,400 steps.
0: Well, when I, I got in my uh, e-bike accident last summer, yeah. I ended up, well, I didn't realize it, but my hip hit pretty hard on the asphalt as well. I just thought it was my chin landing to the stitches. And my left hip actually got raised up and twisted slightly back out of place, about an inch or so. So like not a crazy displacement, but definitely sizable, but I didn't notice. And so when I got back into training, I ended up doing like 40 miles of running that next week when I was like good to go, cleared and one one of those days after the last longer run, I got out of bed and I was like, "Why the heck is my leg yeah. like locked up? It's just, it's not moving. This is not <laughs> like really not good." Sure enough, like got some manual stretch uh, therapy done, some body work, and went to the chiropractor, and they just looked like at me like I was crazy. They were like, "You ran forty miles with your hips like out of alignment like this." Like, no wonder your low back is jacked up and your hip is jacked up and your knee and all of these other things. Exactly. I was like, yeah, I guess an inch does make a huge difference. I'll let you know, though, dude, like if you give it enough time, it's wild how quick like your proprioception will adjust from like a time based standpoint. Because at the later stages, I would say for me. It took probably 10 years, but by the time I was like sophomore and junior year of high school, and then a uh, really, so in college, I could tell the difference between like going 58 seconds for this hundred or 59 seconds, or even like 58.3 versus 58.4. I, I just knew like right away, just from like stroke rate, how fast my legs were kicking or not kicking. Yeah, it It's pretty wild. It's kind of crazy how, and eventually I got to a point where it just felt like you could set a metronome and like my, it, it was on repeat. Essentially, for like, hundred after hundred after hundred, for these longer splits. Yeah.
1: yeah, I just don't have enough reps yet. Um,
0: but it's fine. Yeah. One of the one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking through, kind of that journey of that seven eight years post football, going through yeah. the law school progression, and then now, um, finding yourself more surrounded here in Austin these past two years with people that are pushing you. It. I'm finding in the former athlete space, it's very interesting. There's almost like two ways of thinking where, I don't know, one is right or wrong, but you have one group that's very much like, you don't need to push yourself like you once did. You threw yourself through the ringer. Like, take a break in, in the ease into things. Be kind on yourself. And I would say, they're right. They're You know, they have yeah. some truth in that. And then on the other hand, you have other people that are like, Well, don't get soft. Like it's so easy to just be complacent, put on fifty pounds, and like that's now your new life. And you I always joked, I was like, I never wanted someone to look at me and question when I told them I swam in college or I played a sport in college at least. Um, how do you find that sweet spot for you that is like I'm pushing myself, so I'm not in that complacency bubble, but I'm also being kind and giving myself some grace because yeah, you don't really have to train all out all day and like run your body into the ground anymore. Cause that sweet spot, I think is like ever fleeting for so many of us that come from that background.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hard. Um, the, for, for me, it, it is, it's, it's fundamentally this idea of, um, I'm not, it goes back to intention for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a difference to me of doing a hard thing just to do a hard thing uh, where it could be brutal on your body versus trying to see how fast you can run or how heavy you can lift. Understanding that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt my, I'm not going to try to hurt myself just to hurt myself. Mm Mm-hmm. To me, to me, the true sort of like effort and pushing yourself comes in this, uh, not, not any sort of individual, not like me going and running a hundred miles when I haven't trained for it. Yeah. Like in that specific isolated incident, I would much rather pick something like my deadlift goal where it's like, okay, this is going to require me to eat better. It's going to require me to recover more intentionally. It's going to have this ripple effect of all these positive things in my life where it's no longer about just that lift, mm-hmm. but it's about forcing myself into a situation where all these other things that support this thing have to improve. Mm-hmm. And so it, it quickly becomes a vehicle for me of sort of highlighting where I'm underdeveloped in my life where I haven't given the attention, where I'm not, where I'm leaving too much on the table. And, and so, I mean, the deadlift and in, in the running thing is a great example of that because it sort of exposes if you have a poor diet, or if you're like I don't really drink, but like if you are drinking, it's like that quickly becomes something like you, you yeah. can't do that and try to like chase these things because you're just your body's not gonna have it in you, um, and and so it's I don't know it I've started to think about it of. At risk of pissing some people off, I just, I can't subscribe or get behind the idea of moving only for long, like making longevity the top priority. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where you get into like body weight, bands, less pushing, not really heavy weight. Yeah. And it's like all sort of like, oh, my body, I feel a little tired, so I'm not going to You know, I'm going to listen to my body. It's like, your body never adapts. If you listen to it, then your body's a bully is what it is. Like you aren't bullying your, like you don't have control because if you get into this stance of where all you're doing is listening to your body, then every time you're tired, your body starts to learn like, oh, I can get him to not do what he, I can get him to not do something by saying, by like being hurt or run down. So Mm -hmm. your body never has to adapt. Versus like if you put yourself in a situation where you do keep showing up when you're tired, obviously be smart. I'm not saying don't be smart, but it's like that's when you get your body to actually adapt and become stronger and more resilient. And so to me, I actually think that in a backward sort of way, that is the best thing you can do for longevity's sake is make yourself stronger and less brittle and more resilient. So you can do all these things in the future, like pick up kids when you're 70 um, and sort of, yeah. So I, I don't, it's, it's hard. Um, Cause obviously I do think everybody's situation is unique mm-hmm. and everybody has specific injuries um, and things to work through from the past. But I think more and more we're finding resources, whether it's knees over toes guy or bulletproofing shoulders or some of the uh, back and core stuff. Like I, Broke my back in high school, reconstructed shoulder, had a sports hernia. So I definitely had those doctors who would tell me, oh, you can't do X, Y, or Z the rest of your mm-hmm. life with all three of those things. And then, you start, and then it's like, are you going to accept that and sort of be like, oh, for sort of the sake of uh, being nice to my body, I'm not going work to work on strengthening these things. Or it's like, am I going to be a little uncomfortable and sort of push myself in these domains with the idea that it's, they're not mobility problems. They're not permanent problems. There's mm-hmm. things that can be worked through by actually increasing strength. And I've, I've found that, as my back especially, um, for the longest time, I thought it was uh, tightness in my hamstrings, tightness in my back, sitting down too much. It's just a strength issue. It was a strength of hamstrings, not, not a mobility thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never find that out until you put yourself in a situation where you're forced to find it out. You're never forced to find it out unless you're truly sort of hitting your edge and your limits.
0: Yeah, I mean, in in that same breath, I always I like to say like we learn more through trends than individual data points, Mm. and so it's a dangerous game to play the game every single day where we wake up and we say, "Well, how's my body feel today?" and let that dictate our life. Um, I don't wear Whoop anymore. I don't either. I wore Whoop for like two years and I found it was a lot harder for me to wake up look at an HRV score on a scale of like 0 to 100% recovery rate and then be like oh my god like but I had this really big day today and I scored 30%. Yeah. It's shot. But instead taking a breath to be like okay 30% is my recovery score this morning. Let's look at that data point versus the overall trends. Am I going on a month now where like I'm consistently 30% or lower, then yeah, raise the red flag, time to dig a little bit deeper. But if it's just, no, I was chilling in the greens and then I ate something funny. I was up a little bit later than normal. Like one of these things happened last night that impacted the score. And now today's data point is giving me a like, Hey, little yellow light, so to speak, make a better judgment call to me, I'm like, that is more valuable. And in, if we can all just take a second to dig a little bit deeper beyond just the data point, beyond just the, my back hurts today, or I don't really feel like it. Because to your point, we we actually make more progress showing up oftentimes on those days where you don't yeah. feel like it. And that's...
1: Because I, those, are the, those, those to me are the adaptation days.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think what's... What's really dangerous now, not just in the physical space but with the mental health crisis that this like country is facing and the world has really been facing, you have people looking at individual data points and they're just like, oh, I'm sad today. I must be depressed. I can't yeah. I can't do it today. And maybe they are, but depression is really diagnosed by over two weeks at a time yeah, it's not you're a day. consistently yeah. feeling this we all have bad days so it's instead of <laughs> ironic the irony is it or really is in the fact that you're more likely to then become depressed if you have that kind of personality where you look at one sad day and you pack everything up yeah and it's a say, feedback loop you yeah. know what i mean because then you're like all right i don't feel it and it's i think the same thing on the physical front where yeah, all it takes is you condition that body a couple of times, and your brain is now saying, oh, yeah. Every time yeah. we tell Noah that his back is acting up a little bit, he's going to pack everything in and just n- yeah. not work out at all today. He's just going to go on yeah, Thursday. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know if, if you've had this experience or not, but I've noticed it in the last two years, and I've noticed it talking to friends of – as. Couple days or even a week leading up to like a competition or a race, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, anything that has been achy at all or uh, has been bothering you at all, that lead up to it right before it, it's like your body's last ditch effort to get you to like not go through with it's it.
0: Like, hey, dude, don't do it.
1: All of a sudden, <laughs> it, that thing hurts a little bit more. It's a little more achy. or attention's on it a little bit more. As if your body is testing you and be like, can we get him to. Can
0: we get him to not do this thing? It's funny, from probably my freshman year of high school onwards, every big meet, my left calf literally just became like a knot from the day before the first day, like first session until like a few days after the last session. And it got to a point where, you know, when it first happened, I had exactly that reaction of like, what do you mean my my body's like failing me now because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the way swimming works similar to like how you taper now for a competition whether it be trying yeah. to peak for a mile pr or what you have that one shot really mm-hmm. and you really only get max three of those a year to perform at that level and you're going all out shave taper all all the fun stuff yeah and so i remember like shave i would shave all the hair off my legs and be like oh my god my calf is cramped it's because i sat here shaving the wrong way or, or whatever yeah. it may be and what i learned though with time i almost welcome i started to welcome it yeah i almost like got more freaked out if my left calf wasn't like spazzing a little bit towards the later years of my career where i'd just be like oh no how tight okay yeah there's some tightness there cool we're good to go that means i'm like ready to rock yeah and same thing with even my mindset around sleep like i didn't necessarily, I didn't sleep like a baby during four day long meets and they were the best meets of my life. I would just like kind of toss and turn and be like very antsy. And then I learned to just kind of embrace that almost as like a performance metric and be like, okay, I'm just going to like twist this into being like, yeah, that's what I needed to, yeah to feel good here. Did you do any, or do you do any sort of thing like that now? Where you're like you almost look for certain things that surface level you'd be like freaked out that's a no go sign and then you dig a little bit deeper and you're like actually it's maybe a good thing.
1: Well, uh, I don't I don't know that I have any like specific things I do but it it kind of it makes me think about um, I mean I just I tested my deadlift on Saturday and it, it's kind of the same thing that we've been talking about of. I I know when a stiff back shows up on the day I'm supposed to test my deadlift it's because my body is having a response that is like slight nerves mm. which is an indication to me oh you are you're pushing yourself like you're clearly something is happening in your body that you care about that you want to perform in so kudos to you for letting those feelings and like letting mm-hmm. those nerves come and not living a life sheltered from those things, which is what I was doing previously. Like I was never getting to the point where I wasn't nervous for things, mm-hmm. which which is to me is an indicator of like you're doing things you don't really, truly care about. Yeah, And so I have started viewing them as an indicator that I am in the arena. I ought to be in and I truly care about it. I'm participating in the games, playing the things I truly care about versus playing stupid games I don't care about um so in that way I do sort of it's I would you know you, you smile a little bit and it's like okay yeah. it's, I'm I still feel good that I'm I'm doing
0: something how did how do you now like discern like what is worth you diving into that whether it nerves resistance whatever it may be in your life and beyond kind of just in the fitness realm too because you're doing a lot of other really cool and exciting things. And I'd be remiss if we don't highlight those yeah. too.
1: Um, so how, how do I determine what things
0: to lean into? Yeah. You know how you might pick something up and immediately feel like some, some resistance yeah. and that's either like a public sig- speaking or yeah, like dancing like, in public. Is or, that a yeah, signal for you to like, you actually need to push into this and like, there's so much for you on the other end of it. Or is that like a, okay, no. Cause I think we, one of the problems we all run into is misinterpreting that first feedback signal. Mm. And we say, okay, this is uncomfortable. Therefore I shouldn't do it. Whereas, okay, maybe it's just uncomfortable because I'm not used to it yet or whatever it may be.
1: Well, um, yeah, for sure. I think it, maybe this is more on your question of just I think we're probably similar in that we've learned to sort of identify that feeling as something to be confronted head on because mm. there's growth. That way it's on the other side of it. But there's also an infinite number of things that fall into that category. So it's like like I brought up the example of dancing or mm. uh, public speaking. Um, there are any number of uh, surfing. There are any number of things that would make me nervous the first time I do them. That doesn't mean I... I don't have the time to pursue all of those things. I do think the same signal, it, it, to me, I interpret the signal the same in terms of these are all things in which you could your, you could increase your capacity as a human being. But the tougher part is, to your point, okay, under there's an infinite universe of these things. Which mm. ones do I actually sort of focus on right now? Um, into that, my response is like, it's, it's just a, it's a different seasons type of thing. So I try to be intentional about sort of each season of my life, which I'll describe as once a quarter, Mm -hmm. um, sort of stepping back and saying, what is my priority? Like, what am I prioritizing this season of my life? And then that sort of serves as a North star, um, that I hold up against everything I'm going to do and be like okay, yes, there is potentially growth here in this thing, in this like dancing on stage. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep going back to the example because it's going to happen one day, but it's just not right for this particular season. And so, uh, but that isn't, as long as I actually follow through on that to myself and know that that's for a future season, that's where it gets really tricky because we can fall into this uh, habit of pushing things off to future seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you just have to be honest with yourself about okay where what are the for me it's like what is my priority this season and what are the three things that I can lean into in this season that give me enough evidence to know that I'm truly pursuing and doing something um, that is that is bettering me and my growth as a human being knowing I can't do everything I can do anything but I can't do everything Mm -hmm. and so I'm gonna choose to focus on one, this whatever principal priority at the top. And then underneath that, there's going to be three branches. I try not to have any more than three of things I'm specifically focusing on, um, to sort of, uh, feed that one priority and kind of all goes back. Yeah. And then just knowing like priorities change. So like every, every season when I step back, it's like things have shifted. Maybe you're in a relationship now, maybe, um, something has happened in your family where that has to be a priority. And so then it's like, okay, when you step back, it has the same exact thing. Um, I, I think part of maturing and growing older is sort of this realization that um, habits serve you for a season. Same, mm-hmm. similarly of you can have the things that made you successful and got you to where you are today and, and sort of are proven in this played out in my own life in terms of, uh, law school graduating second in my class. And then it's like, it becomes a very sort of, oh, I know the playbook. I just deploy this. This is how I succeed. This is how I succeed. Mm -hmm. The same thing. And then the practice of law is like, okay, this is how I succeed. This is how I succeed. And then all of a sudden you have this very deeply ingrained habit of, um, this very rigid idea of what it means to be successful in life. And then all of a sudden you're just living these days that you'd rather not live, but that's just because they become templates of the prior day, Mm -hmm. which were successful and got you to where you were. And so we just copy paste that template on each day without ever being like this, you know what, I need a new template for my life. And that's sort of what I reimagined when I came to Austin was a new template for life. And I think everybody would do well to revisit the template Mm -hmm. that they're applying to their life more regularly. Because the one that served us in the past isn't going to be the one that served us the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah, I love the saying that like what got you here won't get you to where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. And you have to be willing to be a flexible and adaptable with your playbook and yeah. your deployment of certain plays at certain times.
1: Well, so that's a great analogy. I never thought about it that way. But think about like a football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you keep running the same play over and over and over and over, eventually... The they're defense gonna is gonna catch on. <laughs> and you gotta change. Like you gotta you gotta switch it up from
0: time to time. It's like do you watch have you watched Navy in recent years play?
1: No, but remember the Titans when he has a ten page playbook? That's what yeah. I was
0: thinking about. Uh, I was about to say, I think Navy has probably eight plays and they're yeah. all they're all runs. Yeah. I think you <laughs> if you look at like the Navy quarterback stat line the past like Ugh. three years, his passing attempts over that three seasons is in double digits. It's kind of insane. Yeah, that's hilarious. Like he doesn't have more than 100 attempts.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I, like, you Which know. crazy. Eight, eight templates for your life is better than one template. 100,
0: oh, 100%. And yeah. You
1: can also go to the other side of the spectrum of like. You have too many templates. Exactly. Not, We're trying to switch every single day.
0: Well, I think that's, that's why I like that system that you kind of introduced to people there where every quarter kind of taking some time to take inventory, reassess and check in and just say, hey, how has this template been working? Yeah. Do I need a new template for maybe Thursdays or Thursdays like showing up a different way than Monday is for me? Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there, what has been helpful at, uh, in that path is you can copy and paste as a starting point mm-hmm. of like, if you have your schedule, your calendar, how you're spending your days, what you're prioritizing. You're like, okay. This is my starting point. What needs to be adjusted? And you make small tweaks. I'm not saying you need to throw the whole thing out together. and yeah. to Start from scratch. Usually it's just small tweaks here and there, kind of like you write that. Like so for me, this season, writing is uh, writing always has been to a certain extent, but specifically like just, I'm, I've introduced a block on okay, like Sunday nights are now dedicated to a Substack article. Wednesdays are dedicated to writing, sort of this animation. Every morning is still has kind of always been my writing block, but I've added mm-hmm. these other things on top of it that were traditionally reserved. Or something else I was prioritizing in past seasons. Um, and that's been, that's just been super helpful for me. I, I think the other thing that's probably been the most helpful for me in terms of, I, I, obviously, I, well, not obviously for people that know me, don't know me. Um, so as a lover of like philosophy, the father of philosophy is Socrates. And he kind of has this saying he's attributed with, that um, he's known for of the unexamined life is not worth living or only the examined life is worth living. It's kind of the same thing. Um, and so there is there is this sense in which I think a lot of anxiety in general can be sourced to the fact where what we say we prioritize doesn't actually show up in our actions mm. in terms of what we say we value, what we say we want, what we say means the most to us in our life doesn't get the best of our energy, time, and attention. And so having, being honest with myself and sort of holding a mirror up and being like, okay, what would an objective observer just watching my life say that I prioritize? And does that line up with what I say I prioritize? Or is there a gap here that needs to be closed? So one of the most meaningful shifts I made when I moved to Austin, and obviously I still fall short, mm-hmm but was asking who's getting the best of my time, attention and energy. And it wasn't the things I cared the most about. So it wasn't writing, it wasn't my health and wellness, it was work. And so I I realized I was quickly on this path of like, that was my God, right? Whatever we spend Mm -hmm. the most of our time, attention in that is our God, whether we like it, whether we want to admit it or not. It's like, whatever is receiving that from us, that's the thing we worship because the most valuable thing we have is our time, mm. so we're giving the most valuable thing we have of our time. Then that's our God, and so for me, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to totally f- like reset the table and think about what do I want to be receiving the best of my time, energy, and attention in this season of my life. It's like the thing I'm most passionate about is my writing. In another season of my life, it's going to be hopefully a future spouse, and then mm-hmm. it's going to be kids. And so it's like, I, I, that's another sort of seasonality thing is you sort of, that that serves as my priority in North Star. That's how I discern that is I say, what do I want people to looking at me to say I prioritize? How do I show that with my time? How do I redo my schedule so that what I care most about is getting the best of me, not the scraps, not the time on the fringes of the weekend or the late nights, mm-hmm. um, how is this actually getting the best of my time, energy, and attention? That, without a doubt, has been the most impactful thing in my life in terms of reorienting me and making me feel more solid and less anxious. It, you know, among a bunch of different other other things, um, health and wellness-wise, I still attribute most of um, my progress in the anxiety category to that shift.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're telling me it wasn't like an ice bath once (laughs) like five years ago that did it for you? That might've been the first domino that (laughs) led to it, but no. No, I love that, man. I think, I mean, obviously the old saying of actions speak louder than words has never been more true when it comes to our own values and how how we're feeling on a day-to-day basis can really be attributed to, well, how are our actions aligning with the words? I would much rather someone show me that family is important to them rather than just them telling me that like family is important to them. I like, I went to, um, the memory that kind of came to mind because we, we both know him, Lewis Howes of, of all people. I went to Summit of Greatness last year. And I had learned more from observing how he actually watched his brother on stage. So Chris Howes is a phenomenal like um, violinist and like jazz violinist and performs and super musically inclined. Amazing. And it's really cool to see. And this entire weekend it was Lewis it was Lewis's event, so to speak. He's the one who organizes it. It's his brand and everything. But he found so many opportunities to put Chris on the stage, whether it be Chris is performing with Wyclef Jean at the after party after the whole summit is done, or he has some solo time on like his own set, so to speak. But what was so cool was not only was Lewis like saying that he was doing that right and being like, Oh yeah, I'm giving my brother this platform. If you looked at like the corner of the stage, you had him, Lewis was like peering from behind the the backstage and just jaw on the floor, like in (laughs) awe of watching his brother. And I'm like, wow, that I learned more from like those five, 10 second interactions and observing Lewis than I have from years of listening to Summit of Greatness or School of Greatness podcast or consuming his content. And like, that's what I want to see more of in this world is more people that I can listen to your content and i can have a conversation with you but i'd rather i'm very observant i'd love to just like sit back and observe people's behavior and that's one of the things that i've really acknowledged in you man from our paths first crossing now two years ago i think you had just moved here yeah Um, i hadn't lived here yet um but just having conversations here and there but more importantly than watching from afar and observing sometimes close up and just seeing you back up the words. I want to just one, acknowledge you for that. Um, but two, like, how do you like, what's that process? Are you, it sounds like you're constantly checking in that are my actions backing up? Like what I'm actually saying?
1: Yeah. Um, man, I, I still, it's one of those things that's hard cause I still feel like I fail at it every single day. Mm. Um, And I, and I think to a certain extent we always will, um, because whether we're conscious of it or not, we, we all have, and this is, this gets into the topic of my second book. The short answer to your question is the most helpful piece of that process has been writing Mm. because through writing, you're sort of forced to stare very directly at what it is you're saying, what you stand for, and you sort of, like you see any of the gaps anytime you're making like logical assumptions or anytime you write something down, and it serves as a judge in that exact moment mm-hmm. of like, ooh, dude do, do I have the right to say that? And so, writing sort of forced me to sit in that sort of space of thinking about it more and more, uh, and that helped a ton and uh this second book which is about it's the a history of the hero and um one of the main premises is is effectively whether we're consciously aware of it or not each of us through our origins heritage parents have inherited this idea of what it means what the ideal person looks like Mm. and it's just amalgamation of heroes and people from the past, sort of like giving an image of what it is we should be doing. And so for me, it's some mixture of like King Arthur and St. George and Joe, a bunch of the biblical heroes. And so we all carry sort of our own little mixture of what that looks like. And that Mm -hmm. sort of serves as a judge of our ideal. It's like, we are always going to fall short of that thing. There's always going to be progress to be made between us and that thing. So life isn't about achieving it. It's about making as much progress as you can. And I do think again my own anecdotal experience is that my anxiety shrinks with the distance between those two things. Mm. And so the larger the gap, the more anxious I am, the more restless I am. And so in it in it's 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 about shrinking that gap and it's also about progress on that. so there's like the Uh, Viktor Frankl has happiness um, you can't pursue happiness it must ensue and so there is this fundamentally one of the things I've come to believe too as I've even I mean previously but even more so through the writing process is it's a function of happiness for me seems to flow most freely when I'm chasing excellence so that is why, like through writing or through the uh, lifting, whatever it doesn't matter. It's a byproduct of chasing excellence, mm. in my opinion. That's been my own experience. And so the this chasing excellence to me is this commitment to closing the gap between you and who you could be, and this ideal. And so it's if I've made any progress in the last few years. I attribute it to just being becoming more conscious and intentional about closing that gap mm-hmm. as opposed to just moving through life sort of unconscious, like unconsciously aware of what actually was motivating me and what type of person I actually wanted to be at my core. Mm-hmm. And so just sort of like allowing myself to move with the waves. And it wasn't until I became aware of that and could like take aim at that thing and then start to make progress in that direction suddenly became... You're not throwing darts. You're not throwing darts in the dark. In the dark yeah. <laughs> um, and so if I've made any
0: progress, that's why. I love it, man. I think it's, that's, that's tough because awareness often just like makes it harder.
1: Well, that's the, the Nietzsche, I'm going to butcher the exact thing, but he basically said the quality of your life depends on how much truth you can bear to see. Mm-hmm and I, there is this wounding aspect of truth and this is like the old testament god that's why he wields a sword and he sort of cuts down because that is any that it's the same sort of like searing light of a north star that burns away mm. and so there is there is a courage bravery and resilience that comes with sort of standing in the light of the ideal and letting things burn off yes it's painful and it's very easy to just stand out of that light and put yourself yeah. into this like i'm not gonna but you pay for that eventually too because that's going to come back in the form of regret and everybody knows the yeah you know
0: i was going to say it's the price that you want to pay 100 it now you paint it later 100%. at some point everybody pays due.
1: the piper yep it comes due so it always comes due
0: and noah this has been a blast, dude. I want to ask you, actually, the fast five. It's ah, be it. it. a little rapid fire. Yeah. One sentence, one word answers. Number one, what is your go-to podcast that you're listening to?
1: Oh, man. that uh, I don't know that I have one, to be honest. Um,
0: no Daily Stoic, no Ryan Holiday. No, I no. I,
1: I, so I, this season of my life, going back to seasons, this isn't a one word answer. I'm sorry. I, it's blew, okay. I blew it on the first question. Um, I've realized I have too many inputs mm. of information, especially as I'm in, I'm in the throes right now of editing my second book. And I, by nature, run on a perfectionist default to, I, I need, I, what about that one more piece of information one more insight and so it's like i've i've lived in that one i need one more before this thing is ready that i've made an intentional decision to sort of cut back on my inputs um i don't know that this counts as a podcast but i would say my go-to recently has been uh there was an exodus series that um one of my favorite intellectuals uh it's Stephen Blackwood is on it. I just, I just applied to his mat. I just, I just applied to a master's program. Um, nice through Rawson college. He's the president of it, but the Exodus series is like, it's him, Jordan Peterson, another guy I love, Jonathan Paggio, um, Douglas Headley, a couple of professors from like the UK. And they literally just walk through the, every single word of Exodus. And then there's a round table of like eight of them. And they all sort of offer their commentary. Um, so that's been like, if I do watch or listen to something, I don't think it technically counts as a podcast. But
0: it's okay. That's my go-to recently. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the the caveat to that answer though, because I think we can all learn from that. Um, number two, if you have been reading, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? Ooh, favorite book in the past
1: year. I have been reading mostly for research purposes. Um, the Aeneid. <laughs> which, which is a poem from uh like the 300s by the Virgil. Po- Virgil was the name of the Roman poet, and he wrote it um, when Caesar Augustus took reign of the Roman Empire. Nice. And it's, dude. Honestly, there are some sections that read like Lord of the Rings. And it reads like I'm watching a Lord. Of, like when I read their sections, I'm like, it a Lord of the Rings movies playing in my head. It's so good. It's definitely so good.
0: the oldest book that we've gotten <laughs> on the show. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Number three, what's something that you can't live without? Ooh. Focus aid.
1: Mm. CJ got me hooked on those things. It's dangerous. Um, dangerous. Number easy. four, what's
0: a quote you live by?
1: Nothing except the soul is worthy of wonder.
0: Get, the, get that tattooed next. Mm-hmm. You know? um, number five, if you could sum up one. Mom, I'm not getting that tattooed. Just <laughs> caveat here. Um, number five, sum up your focus right now in this season of your life into one word. What's that word? Steward. Mm. Beautiful stuff, man. That's it. That You're out of the hot seat. You're out of the rapid fire. <laughs> um, no, man. Where can people find you, keep up with you? Get the first book, keep an eye, maybe pre-order the second book. And so that comes out here in a few months. Yeah, a few
1: months. Um, So on Instagram, it's at Noah Heisman 3. I'm also a co-owner of Squatch Frontier Fitness here in Austin, Texas. If you're here in Austin, stop by. That's at Squatch Frontier Fitness. Um, At this way to at this way underscore to the stars um, is my Instagram handle for my writing the first book is called this way to the stars the introduction of philosophy second book is called this way to the stars A history of the hero um third book will hopefully come out sometime next year uh and tentatively, you're going to call it this way to the stars uh the tau of kings um, so we'll see but uh otherwise th- then i'm on a weekly basis i write on just noah Substack.com, and that that's where you'll find just sort of some of the things that are alive and present in my heart during the previous week. Mm. Um, if you want a little dose before the full on book. Comes
0: out. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And shout out to Squatch. And thank you for welcoming yes, us into great. the radio room here. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Go ahead and share this episode with a friend, family member, or teammate. And until next time flow on my friend.